0: Uh, 2 Corinthians and then just put your finger there because it's going to be quite a while before I get there because Christine is going to share first and so Christine, if you would come
1: Thank you Good morning everybody how are we this morning? Good? Okay, I've got paper, yeah, I've got notes, because <clears throat> I didn't want to forget anything. Um, when Russ first asked me to share a testimony on how I discovered my identity, it got took me on a bit of a journey of how did I lose it in the first place? And over the years of my life, I can come up with A thousand different scenarios of how I lost my identity and to be honest I really didn't know that I had one until I actually lost it you know when you're brought up as a child everything's perfect everything you know you go to school you have fun you know mum and dad are there to look after you and do things for you and so you don't really realize until one day your world is turned upside down for me that was when I was 12. Um, I became sick and I was diagnosed with hyperthyroidism and uh, which is a um, it's a throat condition it's a gland condition and it affects almost every part of your body. Um, you have symptoms on the inside and you have symptoms on the outside. Um, The noticeable symptoms on the outside are you have bulging eyes, you are nervous and you have anxiety. I'm very nervous now but that's not because of my thyroid. You become very irritable and you also um, can have a goiter um, disease which is um, like a swelling of the neck. You cry at the drop of a hat because your emotions are all over the place. And that's where my trouble started my eyes began to expand to about 23 millimetres. Your normal ice eye um, expansion or whatever you want to call it is around about 16 to 19. So you can imagine my eyes were quite huge. Many years later I uh, was fortunate enough to have an operation which fixed that, praise God. But the trouble started at school and I started to get um, bullied quite extensively, I was called Popeye. Um, People would pretend to cry in front of me. They would run away from me because they thought I was contagious. And uh, it didn't stop there. It was the teachers as well. I had a lot of bullying from the teachers, to the point where my English teacher would make me stand up in front of the class and spell out these great big long words that I'd never heard of before. And when I couldn't spell it, he would smack me over the head with a book his English book, his big thick dictionary, and then i begin to cry. Go figure. <laughs> and then he would stand in front of the class and say, oh, quick, go and get the sand bucket, she's going to drown us out again. So you can imagine the day that I turned 15 is the day I left school. I hated it. But <clears throat> it, it also took me on a journey and uh, I started searching because I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I was. I felt a freak. And um, I was even told that nobody would even want to marry me. So the first guy that came along and proposed to me, I married him because I wanted to prove him wrong, but I did it for the wrong reasons. It got me into a whole lot of trouble, searching. Um, and then I found the Lord. like Because many years, up until I was 28, as I said, it got me into a lot of trouble. I won't go into that. Um, that can be a testimony for another time. But when I was 28, both my parents had died, so I was left on my own thinking, what the heck? What am I doing? Where's my life? And um, my sister said to me, why don't you try God? Well, I've always believed in God, uh, right from when I was a little girl, but I'd never actually given my heart to God. And so at that stage, um, to make a long story short, um, I gave my life to God, and that was at the age of 28. Over the years, I um, have had much healing, but I still didn't really know who I was because everybody told you who you were meant to be. You know, even leaders would tell you who you are meant to be. I never ever had the opportunity to find out who I was and who I wanted to be, and where my talents and gifts, or you know, ever w- where they lied. I, I just didn't know. I was still living with the idea that no one really liked me and that I had, a certain, I had to be a certain way to fit in. I was fri- afraid to be the person that I wanted to be because I'd think, if, well, if I be who I want to be, nobody's going to like me anyway. Um, but then God started to show me some things about identity and who I was in Christ. And this is only over the last few years that this has started to happen. And what I found was that if we truly know the love of God for us, that's when we start to know what our identity is and who our identity is. If we understand just how much he loves us, then we can begin to love ourselves, which then we can learn to love others in a pure and unconditional way. I started to learn that God is actually a very romantic God. It began, I began to learn we are already what we, al- we already are, what we already have in Christ. We are his workmanship, engineered by his design, moulded and manufactured in him. And this got me thinking. I thought, wow. He made me. He made me. People out there didn't make me. They tried to, and it destroyed me. But he made me. I am his design. We are equipped to give attractive evidence of his likeness in everything that we do. And I started to realise just how much this God loves me. And then I started to realise that we all have his character. We all have his personality. We all have his ability to love. And we all have his gentleness and kindness, etc. When you start to take on those attributes and understand that that is the identity of Christ, that's when you can start to learn to love yourself clearly and accept who you are. And it doesn't matter. You know, like. Not everybody has to love you. Not everybody even has to like you. But if you like yourself, you know God likes you, He created you, then that's all that matters. So, the clincher for me in all of this, this is what really brought it home for me, was something that I read from a Bible called the Mirror Bible. And this is for all of you. You are God's original thought. Now just think about that, original thought. You are his original thought. You are his initiative, the fruit of his creative inspiration, his intimate design and love dream. So when I really got hold of that, I was changed from an inferior mindset to the opinion of my true origin. I'm allowed to be me. By beholding the glory of the Lord... As in a mirror, you cannot discover that you are, you cannot but discover that you are His glory. Don't ever let anybody tell you anything different. You are His glory. Wow, I now know my identity, and it's in Christ. You cannot cling to a perspective, sorry, I'll start that again. You cannot cling to a perception of yourself that partners with the world. Instead, you learn the way of the kingdom by partnering with his Holy Spirit and with God and with Jesus. It is in Jesus Christ. There is no identity. It is in Jesus Christ. So relax, rest, know who you are in Christ. There's no, no more performance. There's no more pretending. You are his original thought. Thank you.
0: Had another minute left. <laughs> so, if you haven't guessed, and you weren't here last week, we're talking about identity. Actually, today and for the next couple of weeks, think how much is there to talk about? You know, I found it more difficult preparing than I thought. What is identity? What is your identity? It's your self-image. It's how you see yourself. But it also from that is your sense of value, worth, significance. Now that you know that, where does that come from? Now psychologists will tell you there's a number of factors. Nature and nurture. Nurture. Some of it is how you're born. And some of it is those around you. Here's a question. How come you're not cannibals? Weird question, huh? Because you were raised in a culture that doesn't value cannibalism. But had you been raised in another culture that had those values, you might well be accountable. No. See, the reality is, well, it's a number of factors. Our identity begins from those around us. It starts with family with clan, with tribe, with ethnic origin, even with nationality. People are telling us about us. You know that in China, they will always call someone by their last name first, their family name. I have a friend, his name is James Chu. His name's not actually James, it's Chen Ping. But in China, it's Chu Chen Ping because they're identified by their family name before they're identified as an individual. We're just the opposite, we're identified as an individual before we're identified as a family. But our identity begins in that, my youngest son uh, began to speak quite early and he was about 18 months old and I was, we were wrestling and I was holding him and I, I said to him, who are you? And he said, I'm part of your family. His first identity was part of a group. One of the reasons why family is so important and why Jesus sets the solitary in family. But what happens, as Christine shared, is that as we grow older, sometimes our other group becomes the loudest voice. Those around us, our friends. There's something that happens when we age-segregate for education We put kids at the same age together, and they travel through school together. You know, you're five, and you're with all these other kids, and then you go to grade one and grade two and on, and uh, you often spend more time at school than you actually spend with your parents once you go to school. But uh, we learned fairly quickly that every year the teacher changes, but the other kids around us don't. And often, by the time we get to be about 10 or 11 or 12, the loudest voice we hear is from others around us, peers, peer influence. Now, uh, understand this, that the Bible says the companion of fools suffers harm, and foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. So when other children become our loudest voice, no wonder we get bullied or ridiculed or whatever happens. But see, not, while our identity begins from those around us, it becomes internalized. It, it's not your identity until it's your self-talk. I am this. Now you hear enough that you're a failure and you begin to say to yourself, I'm a failure. I can't do that. If you're told often enough you can't do something and you begin to make that internalize that, then you say, I can't do that. And you get limited by your own self-talk. That's your identity as Christine said, does our identity come from the world Or does our identity come from God? Remember that the world lies under the influence of the evil one, 1 John 5, 19. The evil one, the thief, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, so if you understand that culture of the world is designed by the devil to destroy your originality, as Christine was sharing. I found it amazing how what she shared tied in with what I was preaching. Even though I asked her to share uh, about identity, I hadn't told her what I was gonna be sharing. The values of the world, um, this is all the introduction, I'm trying to get to the good stuff. But I just gotta set you up. The values of the world are based on comparison, competition, conformity, and performance. That's where the values of the world come from. Okay? How many of you have key performance indexes that you have to meet in order to get raises? It's, you're valued by your performance. Now, if you look at where that comes from, just for those of you who are really into history, it actually comes from the Greeks. Our Western culture is based on Greek philosophy. It comes from the Greeks. Greeks had this idea that there were this whole pantheon of gods and these gods had relationship with with uh, humans, and they created these kind of uh, demigods, semi-gods, Hercules, Aphrodite, and, and so the more you were like those, the more valuable you were. The more athletic, or the more attractive, or the more you performed. Now, how do we value people in our culture? Because we're a consumer culture, it comes down to money. Who do we pay the most? Athletes? Models? People who accomplish something? But see, the result of that is this constant comparison. This constant competition. I do well, I'm valuable if I can beat Steve. So for me to be valuable, he's got to be less valuable. Cost of comparison. Are you as talented as so-and-so? See, the problem with that is that getting our identity from the world results in rejection. Poor self-image, feelings of no value. That's the bad part. I'm going to talk about the good part. What does the Bible say? You know, there's a lot in the Bible about God changing people's names. I'm going to tell you some of them and then just... For the recording, I'm going to tell you the scripture that it comes from, but we're not going to actually read it for the sake of time because that's not the Bible part I want to read this morning. But I'm going to just mention it so that it gets on the recording. Uh, God changed Abram to Abraham, Father of many nations, Genesis 17:5. Sarai to Sarah. Genesis 17:15. Jacob to Israel. Genesis 35:10. Simon to Peter, John 1, 40 to 42, and Saul to Paul, so that one's actually very subtle because it just says in Acts 13, 3, he was also called Paul, and then from there on he's always called Paul, it wasn't actually something that that God did, it's not said that anyway, but what does the Bible say about all of us? This is the good part. I've got a whole list of scriptures here. Starting with 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. That's where it all starts. In Christ, we become something new. Okay, when we talk about identity, we're going to talk about later on how that we change our perception. But it's not just a matter of I'm going to pull the wool over my eyes or everyone else's eyes. You actually get changed. Verse 21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. That's who we are in Christ. The righteousness of God. Galatians 2.20. Next, verse, next chapter, uh, book over. 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Next book, Ephesians, chapter one, from verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You're blessed in Christ. Just as he has chose us in him. You're chosen in Christ. I had a friend, uh, he was, his. Dad had left his mom when he was uh, a newborn, and his mom died when he was about five, and he lived in foster homes until he eventually got adopted. And uh, as kids do, a number of years later in school, someone was teasing him for being adopted, and and his response was, my parents chose me. Yours got stuck with you. We're chosen in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. We're holy, having predestined us to adoption. We're adopted as sons by Jesus Christ Himself according to the good pleasure of His will in the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the beloved. We're accepted, you're accepted. God accepts you. That word literally means graced with grace. Grace upon grace. In him we have redemption through his blood. We're redeemed. And forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. You're forgiven. Aren't those some wonderful things? Goes on and says, verse 11, In him we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to his counsel. And then for the sake of time, over in verse 13. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You're sealed. Chapter 2, verse 4. And God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. You're loved. Even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you've been saved and raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ. We're going to skip Philippians and go to Colossians chapter 3. Verse 1, if then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth, for you died and your life was hidden with Christ in God. It actually sounds like we have to make a choice where our identity comes from. 1 John, chapter 3 and verse 1, second to last scripture, then you can wake up. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us. See, when you're actually a child of God, when your identity comes with him, you're a strange creature to the rest of the world. One more, Romans chapter eight. You guys get there before I do. Verse 16 says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Think about that. You're a joint heir with the king of the universe. So why is this important? It's a very good question, I'm glad you asked. You were thinking that. Why in the world is he going on about this? Why is it important? It's important for this. Some, of, some people deal with rejection and self-hatred. We all know that. There's attempts to escape. Sometimes it causes people to get into alcohol or drugs uh, or feelings uh, or even come to self-harm. Some people deal with that, but most of us in that category but i believe most of us live with a low level of insecurity and feelings of insignificance because the way of the world there is just something that i believe it's probably the greatest uh result in Western culture is this feeling of insecurity. No matter what I do, I never match up. I'm never good enough. If I am accomplish something, I'm not attractive enough. If I'm attractive, I'm not athletic. See, the problem with comparison and competition is that it leads to criticism. We focus on what we don't have, rather than what we do. Most attractive woman says, oh, my nose is just not the right shape. If I were only a little bit more coordinated. I played uh, sports when I was in high school and college, basketball and tennis. And uh, someone once said to me, how come you never became a professional tennis player? Because I was on- honest enough to realize that I just wasn't quick enough and coordinated enough. I played with a guy, he had the quickest reflexes I've ever seen. And it made me realize, you see guys on TV playing tennis and wow, that looks easy. But that ball's <laughs> traveling at 100 miles an hour and they go, shoo, shoo, you get up to the net and some guy hits it and you've got a tenth of a second to respond. My coordination isn't that. I, I don't respond in a tenth of a second. I just get hit. <laughs> and it happened many times and I realized, okay. My self-image isn't going to be that of a professional tennis player. See that feelings of low level of insecurity and insignificance. Some people just give up. I'm just going to play it safe. I'm not going to risk anything. Some people get bound by fear. But if you think about it, what stops us from obeying the leading of the Holy Spirit to pray for someone in the supermarket? insecurity? What if they get angry? Fear, what if people see? Well, I want you to understand that this identity from our culture is the enemy's ploy to stop the church from being a kingdom of priests. And it's worked for the most part. Problem is that that insecurity makes its way into the church as well. So some find their identity in ministry. How many pastors, their identity is whether their church grows or not. Whether everything looks good. I've got to control things. I can't have someone misrepresenting. Can I set you free? You don't represent this church. You represent Jesus. If he's unhappy, you're in trouble. We don't have a DNA as a church. You don't represent Redemption Hill's DNA. You represent Jesus' DNA. But see, then... Some find their identity in their gifting. I went to visit a church once, and a young lady introduced herself to me. She said, hi, my name's Dawn. I have the gift of the word of knowledge. That was her identity. And I said, no, you don't. I said, it's not your gift, it's the gift of the Spirit, and it represents the Spirit, not you. (laughs) Oh! But see, that comparison and competition comes in, and we have this deal that says, my gifting's more important. My gifting's more important than yours. Or, that comparison also leads to criticism, where we're always finding and communicating faults and failures. Oh, that's Steve. He's a great guy. But, we find the one thing. How many of you know that none of us are perfect except Jesus? So if you're looking for faults or shortcomings, you're going to find them. But something happens, and a religious spirit gets behind that, and our focus is on what we don't do well rather than what we do well. I have a friend, uh, good friends of ours, that they were part of the church when we led in uh, Melbourne, and their kids were the same age as our kids and grew up together, and their daughter, uh, when she was in high school, hated school. Last two years, she just hated school. Looking back on it, I can understand why. She was just not good in math. Just was hopeless. Now, to her benefit, she was an incredible artist, which will come in later, but she just wasn't good in math. So what happened? In this conformity model, in order to graduate and do well, she had to do math. So she focused on math and she had tutors to teach her math. She focused on what she couldn't do and always felt like a failure and hated it. Left school and got into art and became one of the best artists. In fact, the courses she did, they, they were just stunned and said, She is one of the most creative people we've ever seen. Why do we focus on what we can't do rather than what we can do? That's our culture. Rather than feeling that she was loved and accepted for who she was, she was constantly told how dumb she was because she wasn't good at math. Good end of the story, she married this great guy. She is incredibly uh, artistic and creative, and he's good at math. (laughs) Who would have guessed? Why is, why is this important? Because as we're moving into growing in the Spirit, we want to grow in the Spirit from a place of security, not insecurity. We want to grow in the Spirit from a place of cooperation and not competition. We want to grow in the Spirit from a place of appreciation and not criticism. And we want to grow in the Spirit valuing team and not just... Independence. We're going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks. Very important, but how do you change your identity? I'm glad you asked that one too. I'm going to give you three things real quick, and then we'll be finished. First, is that you have to recognize you're unique. Let me see your finger, everyone, let me see your finger. You know that you have a fingerprint that's no one else has. There are about seven billion people on the planet. There have been a number, a number of other billion who have existed prior to you, but nobody has that fingerprint. Now look at that fingerprint. How do you get seven billion variations? It's still a finger. You have a separate iris print on your eye. How in the world? You have a separate voice print. You know, evolutionists can't figure out. There's absolutely no reason in evolution why you have a separate fingerprint. What you have is that you are unique. God made you. He just said, let me remind them." Isn't that amazing? God made you. Christine was saying that. I don't care what anyone else has told you, God made you. But see, it's not only recognizing you're you're unique. If you're going to actually change your identity, you have to renounce the values and the identity of the world. You can't try and slide in what God says next to the world and see if they'll fit together. There is no syncretism. There's no, like, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You've got to renounce the values and identity from the world. Part of that is you've got to take control of what and who you listen to. because the world doesn't stop telling you its values when you become a christian or follow jesus and then thirdly you've got to meditate on what god says hearing me preach about it does not change your identity you have to meditate on it enough till it becomes internalized till what god says about you becomes internalized and it becomes your self talk see the world says you're a failure and you and you accept that and you say i'm a failure i'm a failure i'm a failure i can't do that i'm a failure god says you're more than conquerors in christ but you're still saying but i'm a failure i'm a failure until you actually meditate enough on the word of god that it becomes your subconscious i am i can do all things in christ I'm not a failure. I can do all things in Christ. I am not that person anymore. Maybe I was a failure, but I'm not that person anymore. Hearing a sermon doesn't change your identity. Taking time to meditate. To allow... The truth to replace the lie. Because the devil's a liar, he's a deceiver. The values of the world are deceitful. So I'm going to help you do that. I made you a notes for this morning. I made it in the form of a very, very simple bookmark. Okay? Because I figure some of you don't take notes. So I would take them for you. And if I go to the trouble of laminating it and saying it's a bookmark, then you can't throw it away. (laughs) You've got to put it in your Bible. So, help me out here. Tim, Kate, pass those. Justin Christie here, this side. Everyone gets one. What it says, your wonderful bookmark present <coughs> says, "I'm a new person in Christ. I'm blessed, chosen, adopted, accepted, redeemed, sealed, righteous, and holy." And then on the back is all the scriptures I just read to you. For those of you who weren't taking notes. (laughs) You have the notes. So what do you do? Put this in your Bible and every day. Take some time to read it. By the end of this series, your mind will be being changed. Your mind will be being transformed. See, we have this thing in our culture that we want things instantly. If someone would just pray for me and I can be transformed. Someone lay hands on me. But you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is how you renew your mind. I'm telling you how. You have no excuses now. Year goes by. Next year, as I said last week, at the end of the year, we say, how have you grown? You say, well, but my mind wasn't renewed. I still think the same. Then it's your fault. Take that. If we're going to grow in the spirit, how God intends us to, we're going to see that there's a culture of affirmation that has to develop because we get our identity from those around us. Yet if I don't have God's picture of me, how can I have God's picture of Josh? How can we move in growing into the, the spirit together if we're competing? Oh, no, no, no. You've got to get me to pray for you because I'm the one that's annoyed. Dad, don't ask Tim. Actually, just the opposite. <laughs> In, in this church, but you know, by illustration, how often does does some sort of competition creep in? Oh man, but I've got the the anointing for this. Maybe you do. Can I say this? Once we have a culture of information, we'll talk about that next week. We can realize we're not in competition with any other church in the city. We're part of the kingdom. Yeah. We're allies, we wanna see the kingdom advanced. But when competition comes in, when my identity is in my success as a pastor, and I see there's only so many Christians, we've got to en- enlarge our share of the pie, which is a business concept, right? Not recognizing that of the pie in the city are unsaved. We want to see the kingdom advance. But let me say this. It all begins in Christ. It all begins with knowing him. If you don't know him, this will make no sense because you you do not have the ability to get your identity from anywhere other than the world. If you don't know him, we'd love to introduce you to him. You heard the gospel and all the songs that we sang this morning. Jesus has taken our place. God says, not only are you unique and valuable, but he formed you for such a time as this. He said, in all of history, at the end, I need Greg Howell. In all of history, for this purpose, and this time, I need this man. I need Andrew Green. I need Christy Haynes. See, that changes how we see ourselves, but it also changes how we see each other. Amen your head if you would. Lord, we recognize that we are graced with grace. We're accepted in you. And for everyone who's believed the lie of the world, we just renounce that in Jesus' name. If you believe that, just renounce it. But understand, this is not just for you, but this is for you to help others get free. Because there's a whole lot of Christians who have accepted Jesus, but they've still got their identity from the world. Well, I thank you for your freedom. Thank you for the value that you place on us. It humbles us. The king of the universe died for me. And now I am actually a joint heir with Christ. Well, I thank you for that. Burn it into our hearts. change, transform our minds that we can grow in the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.